Will you please rise as you are able for the reading of today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim, it to, the proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, no human being or animal no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Can't hear me. Yes, there is sound. Let there be sound. Um, Judy, thank you so much for reading our lesson. Uh, I always enjoy hearing Judy Zartman read and can only imagine what it's like to be one of her grandchildren to hear her read stories. Uh, we're grateful to you. James, thank you. I think James may have already left us, but James, what a beautiful, beautiful uh, sharing of music that we've had today. And Mark Edwards, I, I believe Mark that was your arrangement that James was singing and, and he did it justice today. 
we're grateful. And to all of you, uh, it is good to be together today. We had one service last week. Some of you were here. We had one degree last Sunday morning. And so we welcomed what I call the frozen chosen. We're here last week. And, and many of you were online with us. And we're so glad to be together today. It's a great joy. I love passages of Scripture that end with a question, don't you? That's the rabbinical way, isn't it? That was Jesus' way. He would often answer a question with a question in order to engage and to continue the dialogue. And what a way to begin this morning. If you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that we're on our series. The third week of our series called A Whale of a Tale, uh, talking about the prophet Jonah. And our text begins in chapter 3, verse 1 today with a recall of the prophet. In spite of his initial resistance, isn't it interesting that God doesn't wash his hands of his prophet? He doesn't. In fact, he sticks with Jonah in spite of the resistance and the reluctance. And so the text begins, chapter 3, verse 1, and God called Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh, and he went. Some of you read recently, as did I, that Boeing did a recall recently on the 737 MAX 9 airplane. You've seen this. A few weeks ago, an Alaskan Airlines jetliner blew out a a portion of its fuselage seven minutes into its takeoff, three miles over Oregon. And of course, the pilot made a safe landing, an emergency landing, And fortunately, none of the passengers, none of the crew members were seriously injured. But there was a high school teacher in Portland who woke up to find the door of that plane in her backyard. You can imagine that. And the FAA has since ordered, as they should, the grounding of many of those planes for inspection. We call it a recall. Some of you remember in the 70s, they did a recall of of the Pinto, which probably should have never come off the line. (laughs) There was a recall at one point uh, of Tylenol, you may remember, in the 80s, when when a faulty ingredient or a, a faulty part is discovered that needs mending or repair, there's, there's a recall. And apparently from the scriptures, this doesn't just happen with products. It happens with people. And Jonah 3 suggests that our God is a God who does recalls. Though Jonah initially sought to escape God, God's commission to Nineveh, isn't it true that divine persistence always trumps human resistance? And he does it through a storm. He does it through wind and waves, through seaweed and the deep blue sea, and of course, a big fish. And through all of that, God recalls Jonah a second time, and he responds in obedience. Now, some of you have said to me, and I feel this, I feel convicted, that we've been picking on Jonah a little bit the last couple of weeks. But I want to say to you today, I understand why Jonah refused at first to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and Assyrians and Israelites didn't jihaw. That's a Hebrew word that means they didn't mingle, they didn't co-mix. It's one thing to be called to preach to your own hometown. One thing to preach to your own tribesmen, your own kinsmen, but it's something far different 
to be called into hostile territory. Assyria had ransacked Israel in years past, and, and I can imagine if I'm called to go to Nineveh, it, it sounds like a suicide mission to me. And so I understand it's no wonder that he fled to Tarshish. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. Have you ever been called to do something or to go someplace that you didn't want to go and you didn't want to be a part of, but God called a second time, and he went. Granted, he went with fists clenched and teeth gritted, but he went in obedience. And generally speaking, these prophetic texts, and there are many, there are 12 minor prophets, there are many major prophets, like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, most of the time, these prophetic books in the Old Testament come with lengthy excerpts and extensive citations of the prophet's sermons, but not so in Jonah. Jonah's preaching is summed up in eight words. For those of you who like brief sermons, Jonah would be your man. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. It's a message of repentance. It's short and sweet. And by the way, the Hebrew word for repentance, you know what it is? Shub, S-H-U-B. It means to return, to turn back. Apparently, the Ninevites needed a recall. Historians note that about that time in Jonah's mission, Assyria had experienced a number of famines, plagues, and eclipses, all of which were omens of bad things to come. In fact, Daniel Temer wrote a book on Jonah, a commentary on Jonah, in which he said, this state of affairs would have made both rulers and subjects unusually attentive to the message of a foreign prophet. In other words, they were listening. Their hearts were open, and they responded. In fact, you see their response in verse 5, chapter 3. The people of Nineveh believed God they proclaimed a fast, and everybody, great and small, put on sackcloth. And what does that mean? What is sackcloth? It's a coarsely woven fabric that's made of goat hair that's worn as a token of mourning. It's a sign of grief. It's a sign of self-humiliation, of submission and surrender. And even the king of Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes. He adds ashes which are symbolic of humility, of mortality, of sorrow and regret for sin. In fact, can you believe two weeks from this Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten pilgrimage called Ash Wednesday when we will gather and respond by coming forward to the altar to receive ashes in the form of a cross on our forehead, which is the beginning of a pilgrimage season of fasting and repentance. Even the king decreed a fast, not just for the city, not just for the people, but for the cows and sheep. Did you get that? For the flocks and herds, all covered in sackcloth and ashes, as a sign that the whole nation was turning from violence, from evil, so that God might turn from God's anger and have mercy on them. By the way, the number 40 is not a throwaway number either. It's very significant. It's a holy number. It signifies a season of testing in which spiritual growth may occur. 
For example, the 40 years in the wilderness for the Hebrews, it was a training camp for the Israelites as they prepared to enter the promised land. Jesus' 40 days of temptation in the wilderness was a probing of his motive and, and purpose for his Messiahship. Even the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus was a season of testing of the ongoing witness of the early church. And so whenever you see that number 40, it's, it's a transitional time in which transformation may occur. And transformation happened in Nineveh in those 40 days. Verse 10 says, when God saw how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he'd bring on the people, and he didn't do it. In other words, when Nineveh repented, God relented. This is what happens with the grace of repentance. When we repent, God relents and there's mercy. And here's where it gets ugly. You would think that such a response would fill a prophet's heart with joy, right? I mean, there's nothing like giving an invitation and seeing people respond by joining the fellowship or making a profession of faith. You would think that the Ninevites' response would have filled Jonah's heart with joy. But that's not what happens. On the contrary, the scripture says that Jonah was greatly displeased. In fact, it says he was angry. It's interesting, the Hebrew word literally means flared nostrils. That visually, tangibly, he was, he was angry, he was displeased. And listen to his response to God. Lord, I knew this was what you would do. I knew this is what would happen. This is why I fled Tarshish to begin with, because I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from punishment. And now he says, how are we ever going to get even with the Ninevites? That's Revised Chapel Version. And then he gets downright pitiful. Please, Lord, just take my life. I'd rather die than live. And he says essentially what my wife used to say when we had two preschoolers, just kill me now. <laughs> you ever reach that point where you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired, just kill me now. If you've ever reached that point, let me tell you, you're in good company. Take a look at Numbers 11, Moses. Moses, during that wilderness wandering, got so fed up with his people, with their fussing about manna and water and accommodations, that he just quarreled with God. He said, Lord, this is too heavy for me. I can't carry all these people by myself. If this is how you're going to treat me, Lord, just kill me now, is essentially what he says. It's the same with Elijah. This is 1 Kings 19. After Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal over at Mount Carmel, and some of us have been to that very spot, Elijah fled to Beersheba for some R&R. But Jezebel, the evil queen, sent a message to Elijah saying, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming after you. And Elijah was so weary of the struggle of his faith that the scripture says he sat under a broom tree and said, Lord, just, just take me, kill me now. It's interesting to me that the word Israel literally means 
one who struggles with God, one who wrestles with God. We, we used to think that faith, faith enables us to bypass the struggle and the strife, but it isn't true. In fact, there's a book written by Anson Leitner called Arguing with God is a Jewish Tradition. And that's true. It's a Jewish tradition. In that book, he quotes an old Jewish proverb, get this, two Jews, three opinions. <laughs> you could say that about the Methodist church. Two churches, three opinions. And so I get Jonah's struggle. I do. But what worries me about Jonah is, do you know what upset him the most about this call? It wasn't his fear of death. It was his fear of grace. If Nineveh repents, then God's going to forgive them, and Jonah doesn't want them forgiven. He wants them to burn. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, says it like this. What Jonah wants is a God of his own making. Jonah wants a God who promptly smites all the bad folks and blesses all the good people like him and his tribe. And when the real God keeps showing up, the one who sends rain and sun on the just and the unjust, Jonah is furious. He's offended by the grace of God. Thomas Burton once said it like this, listen to this. It is both dangerous and easy to hate man as he is because he's not what he ought to be. But if we don't respect first what he is, we will never suffer him to become what he ought to be. And in our impatience, we will do away with him altogether. Don't look now, but Jonah resembles, at least to me, the elder brother in Luke 15. You remember that story, the prodigal son? You remember when the prodigal son wound up in a pig pen and decided to return home in sackcloth and ashes that his father threw him a party. You remember this? And everybody, the whole village came out to celebrate except for one person, the elder brother. He was a no-show. Why? because he was offended by grace. He said essentially to his father, it's not, it's not fair. And when his dad came out to get him to come to the party, I want you to listen what the elder boy said to his dad. Father, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never even gave me a goat. But when this son of yours, notice he won't call him brother, when this son of yours who ruined his life comes home, you put on the ribeyes. He's offended by grace. And I don't know, but I think maybe his name might have been Jonah. The problem with the elder boy was not in his assessment of his brother as a sinner. He was a doozy of a sinner. But the problem was the elder brother thought of himself as being one without sin. And it's the same as Jonah. The Ninevites were unworthy of grace, of course, but then so was Jonah, and he didn't know it. Grace is not the property of the church to dole out to those we deem worthy. 
In fact, the word grace literally means unmerited favor. It's not a reward to be earned. It's a gift to be received and shared indiscriminately. I'm reminded this morning of Jesus's parable of the laborers in the vineyard. I want to close with this and and share with you in my own terms, Jesus's story. It's in Matthew 20. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a vineyard owner who went out early one morning, about 6 a.m., to hire laborers for his vineyard to pick grapes. And after agreeing with them for a denarius, which was the usual daily wage, he sent them out to work. He went out again with his truck at 9 a.m. and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you too go into the vineyard and, and I'll pay you whatever is right. This is different this time. He contracted with the 6 a.m. group. He trusts, they trust him at the 9 a.m. group. I'll give you what's right. And they went. He went out again at noon. He went out again at 3 p.m., loaded the truck, put him to work. And he even went out at five o'clock in the afternoon when there was only one hour left to work. And he asked those who were standing there at five o'clock, why are you standing here idle all day, wasting the day away? And this is what they said, because sir, no one has picked us. No one has hired us. We were here when you came at six, we raised our hands, you didn't pick us. We were here at nine, we were here at noon. We've been here all day, but you didn't see us and you didn't choose us. And so he sent them into the vineyard. And here's where the story gets real. When nightfall came, the owner said to his treasurer, his manager, I want you to call the laborers in and I want you to give them their pay, but I want you to start with the last ones first and then work your way to the 12 hour laborers. When those who were hired at five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius, a day's wage. So when the first approached, they thought they would get paid more, but each one received the usual daily wage, a denarius. And their response, they grumbled against the owner. Just kill me now. These last folks worked for one hour, but you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Just kill me now. But the owner replied, listen to this, friend, I love that he calls him friend. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So take what belongs to you and go. For I choose to give the last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you just begrudge my generosity? Checkmate. That's the elder brother problem. That's the Jonah problem. That's the Pharisee problem. Begrudging God's grace to anyone other than me. It was Philip Yancey who said, grace does not depend on what we have done for God. It depends on what God has done for us. He said, ask people what they must do to get to heaven, and most will reply, be good. 
But Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do is cry, help, and turn. Somebody needs a recall this morning. Well, I've got some good news. God is in the recall business. God sees broken parts and mends them. And God never washes God's hands of us. He sticks with us. And his persistence overrules our resistance when we turn. And the upshot is always the same. It's grace. And by the way, the only way to keep grace is to give it away. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.